Hello, and thanks for joining us from our studios in Tel Aviv. Coming up in today's newscast, two terror attacks rock Belgium. Three of the U.S. presidential candidates come out as strong supporters of Israel, and we'll tell you how Israeli technology is solving California's drought. I'm Denise Wood, here with the latest news in Israel. This morning, Belgium was rocked by a series of terror attacks in its capital, and dozens were killed in the blasts. More than 30 people are reportedly dead and dozens are injured after two explosions went off this morning in Brussels at the airport and metro station. One Israeli was reportedly injured in the attacks, and Belgian police say there could still be more victims. Brussels city transport has been shut down, and the airport has been evacuated and all flights canceled. Belgian media is also reporting that there were gunshots before the explosions and that Arabic was shouted beforehand. Belgium has now been put on terror level four, and some reports are suggesting that security officials have found more explosive devices at the airport. The Israeli public security minister, Gilad Erdan, has publicly expressed his condolences to the victims of the attacks. No group has claimed the attacks yet, and it's unclear if they're connected to Saturday's terror attack in Turkey, which killed three Israelis and wounded 11. This week marks the APAC conference, which is hosting several of the U.S. presidential candidates and a number of Israeli politicians. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu sent a compelling video message to be shown at the conference, in which he denounces terrorism, calls for bilateral negotiations, and thanks America for its continued support of the Jewish state. Greetings to all of you from Jerusalem. I want to first send my condolences to the families of those murdered in today's terrorist attacks in Brussels. The chain of attacks from Paris to San Bernardino, to Istanbul, to the Ivory Coast, and now to Brussels, and the daily attacks in Israel. This is one continuous assault on all of us. In all these cases, the terrorists have no resolvable grievances. It's not as if we could offer them Brussels or Istanbul or California or even the West Bank. That won't satisfy their grievances because what they seek is our utter destruction and their total domination. Their basic demand is that we should simply disappear. Well, my friends, that's not going to happen. Yesterday, the U.S. presidential candidates also spoke at the APAC conference in Washington, D.C., in an attempt to win over the audience with their support for Israel. Over 18,000 people attended the speeches, and unsurprisingly, the most highly anticipated speech was from Republican frontrunner Donald Trump, who told the audience he's a longtime supporter of Israel. Good evening. Thank you very much. I speak to you today as a lifelong supporter and true friend of Israel. I'm a newcomer to politics, but not to backing the Jewish state. Trump put forth a strong show of support for the Jewish state along with blasting the Iranian nuclear deal and vowing to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and support Israel against hostile U.N. resolutions. 
The United Nations is not a friend of democracy. It's not a friend to freedom. It's not a friend even to the United States of America, where, as you know, it has its home. And it surely is not a friend to Israel. The Palestinians must come to the table knowing that the bond between the United States and Israel is absolutely, totally unbreakable. They must come to the table willing and able to stop the terror being committed on a daily basis against Israel. They must do that. We will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. The majority of AIPAC's audience was Jewish, and Trump made sure to emphasize that his daughter Ivanka is married to a Jewish man. My daughter Ivanka is about to have a beautiful Jewish baby. In fact, it could be happening right now, which would be very nice as far as I'm concerned. So I want to thank you very much. This has been a truly great honor. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. Despite Trump's words of support, he did make a few comments that don't bode well for Israel. Trump says Israel, along with Japan and South Korea, would have to pay the U.S. back for military assistance it's received. Trump wasn't the only Republican candidate to speak at AIPAC. Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz took aim at the frontrunner for having said that he would be neutral on the Israel-Palestine conflict. All of us here understand that Israel is not the barrier to peace. It is the Palestinian Authority in a so-called unity government with Hamas that celebrates the murder of women and children and incites and even compensates the terrorist attacks. If the Palestinians try to push through a United Nations resolution to unilaterally declare Palestinian statehood, America will veto that resolution. Indeed, I tell you today, I will fly to New York to personally veto it myself. Cruz is vowing that when he's president, he won't be neutral about the conflict and says America will be firmly on Israel's side. Cruz is also criticizing Trump for his approach to dealing with the Iranian nuclear deal. Cruz also warns that if he's president, the U.S. will shoot down future missile tests conducted by Iran. The Republican candidates weren't the only ones who tried to win support at last night's AIPAC conference, but only one of the Democratic candidates showed up. And you might be surprised to hear it wasn't the only Jewish candidate in the race. Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton also spoke at yesterday's AIPAC conference, and she's attacking Donald Trump's claim of neutrality in the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Yes, we need steady hands. Not a president who says he's neutral on Monday, pro-Israel on Tuesday, and who knows what on Wednesday, because everything's negotiable. Well, my friends, Israel's security is non-negotiable. That America can't ever be neutral when it comes to Israel's security or survival. We can't be neutral when rockets rain down on residential neighborhoods when civilians are stabbed in the street, when suicide bombers target the innocent, some things aren't negotiable. And anyone who doesn't understand that has no business being our president. Clinton claims she's a firm supporter of Israel, but she didn't denounce the Iranian nuclear deal, 
which isn't surprising since she helped formulate it as Secretary of State. At the same time, she vowed to make sure that Iran wasn't violating the agreement. It's not good enough to trust and verify. Our approach must be distrust and verify. This deal must come with vigorous enforcement, strong monitoring, clear consequences for any violations, and a broader strategy to confront Iran's aggression across the region. We cannot forget that Tehran's fingerprints are on nearly every conflict across the Middle East, from Syria to Lebanon to Yemen. The other Democratic candidate, Bernie Sanders, didn't attend the APAC conference, even though he's the only Jewish candidate in the race. And I am here to tell the American people that if elected president, I will work tirelessly to advance the cause of peace as a partner and as a friend to Israel. But to be successful, we have, we have also got to be a friend not only to Israel, but to the Palestinian people. <laughs> where in Gaza, unemployment today is 44%, and uh, we have there a poverty rate which is almost as high. Sanders has previously spoken out about his views on the Middle East conflict and says he's both pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian. Israel is a flourishing nation with a large agricultural sector, but that wasn't always the case. A lot of Israel is desert, and the small country has invented water technology to help it make the most of its limited resources. Israel's already come up with impressive irrigation technology, and now one Israeli company is developing a way to continuously monitor water levels in trees. Satua CEO and co-founder Anat Salomon joins us today to tell us how this technology could help save water and increase fruit production. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Denise. So first of all, what exactly is your company doing? So Taurus develops a miniature sensor that is embedded in the stem in direct contact with the water tissues and continuously measure the water status. Farmers with these uh, uh, sensors can irrigate the exact amount of water that their crops need and this for optimal yield and what, saving, saving water. Wow, so it sounds like it's really important for farmers, but is there anything like this on the market? And if so, how is your sensor different than what there already is? You will be surprised to hear that most of the farmers worldwide irrigate without any control. Mm. They uh, calculate the amount of water that they need for irrigation mainly based on assumption and just add 10 to 15 percent just to be on the safe side. So it leads to a lot of waste. Yes, there's a lot of waste and mainly you cannot optimize the yield because you cannot control the precious resource of water. So there's a, a, a significant gap between the farmer's need and the uh, uh, limited solutions that are available in the market. Among farmers that are using sensors, the, mon the, the most common solution is uh, measurements in the soil. And it's well known that uh, from a scientific uh, point of view, soil measurements are very, uh, uh, the variability is very high. So you need between seven to eight units per hectare in order to get a, a, a good average to understand the real water status. Farmers do not invest more than two or three, three units per hectare. So there is not actually a cost-effective solution in the market today. It sounds really time-consuming also. Yes, of course. Uh, but, uh, but I think that the most advantage uh, uh, that we can uh, supply the farmers are uh, uh, controlling the yield. If you can, uh, with the 
smart irrigation can increase the yield by 5 to 20 percent. That means for the farmers, uh, increase in income, uh, less risk and losses, and saving water, which is uh, a serious issue worldwide. Definitely. And I see you brought us an example here. Yeah. You could tell me what this is exactly that we're looking at. Okay, so I just uh, wanted to show the sensor. It's uh, our first prototype. It's 25 millimeter diameter. We are already working on the second uh, model that will be uh, minimized to a uh, 5 to 10 millimeter diameter. Uh, the sensor is embedded, as I said, in the stem, in direct contact with the water tissue, and continuously measure the uh, water status by means of stem water potential. It's a scientifically recognized, highly ac accurate parameter for water status. So you said the sensor is larger than the one that you're developing right now. This looks like it would be used in a tree. Is the smaller one going to be used in something else or what is the point of making something smaller? Yeah, due to the uh, current size of the sensors, we are uh, working mainly in orchard. With the next model, we will work in wine grapes, in, uh, in uh, cotton, yeah. and even in greenhouses, in uh, tomatoes and other vegetables. Now, this is sort of a basic question, but why is it important to understand how much water is in a tree or in a plant? Think, for example, about uh, wine grapes. You can imagine that uh, smart irrigation can control the sugar content in the food and therefore the quality of the wine and therefore the price per bottle. So for the farmer, that's a, a serious issue to control the water and control the uh, um, quality of his product. Absolutely. And so if they're controlling it correctly, does that lead to more more? produce that they're having at the end of the season or how does this actually affect what their output is? We believe that we can uh, uh, we can improve the uh, yield by 5 to 20 percent that means wow. in quality and, and in quantity. For example if a farmer can grow more apples in the size of 70 millimeter diameter due to smart irrigation and for this size he gets the maximum uh, uh, price then this will in, of course uh, increase his income. Definitely. It sounds like it affects a lot the economics as well, not just growing. Exactly. So I want to ask also, I understand your product is still in development. When can we expect to see it on the market? Uh, we are now planning, uh, after opt optimizing this prototype, we are planning a worldwide beta site that uh, probably will take us uh, several months. And we expect our first commercial product to be in the market within 18 months. Wow. So pretty soon we can look forward to it. Well, thank you so much for coming in and I look forward to seeing thank what your you. company does. Thank you. You probably know about the California drought that's wreaking havoc in the state and causing some serious environmental issues. Well, it turns out Israeli technology has a solution, and one California ranch is already putting it to use. Yesterday's APAC conference wasn't only about the presidential candidates. It also was a chance to show how Israeli innovation is helping the U.S. Israel's Ben-Gurion University is partnering with the drip irrigation company Netafim to help increase California's rice production in the midst of its devastating drought. The partners are working with Conaway Ranch, which is located near Sacramento, California, and is usually one of the world's richest and most productive farming areas. The ranch takes up 17,000 acres, and many of its crops need lots of water. Farmers at the ranch say they're hopeful that the Israeli drip irrigation technology will revolutionize rice production, not only in California, but on a global scale. The technology is a big change from how California's farmers usually grow rice by dumping water on the plants which is a luxury they can't afford during the drought. The drip irrigation system is set to be installed at Conaway Ranch this spring, and it's expected to increase crop production while also saving water. 
The Conaway Preservation Group says it believes Israel's technology will pave the way for farmers to increase output. And it could be key in helping California save water and survive the drought. We heard a lot about Israeli water technology today, which brings us to our Hebrew word of the day. Today's word is maim, which means water in Hebrew. The word maim is really historically important in Hebrew because it's used a lot in the Torah. Just think of Moses parting the Red Sea or making water appear from a rock, and you get the idea. Water is still really important in modern Israel, even though a lot of the country is made up of desert. Even though it's called the land of milk and honey, Israel is actually one of the world's leaders in water technology. And if you're a fan of Maim, then Israel is definitely a good place to visit. From the Dead Sea to the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, there's lots of water to go around. Just don't forget to actually drink water when you're in the Holy Land. It's called the desert for a reason, and it's known to get really hot. And on that note, let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. It's a gorgeous week in Tel Aviv and looks like even the weather's cooperating for Purim. Today it's expected to be 67 degrees and sunny, but it'll be warming up this week. Tomorrow there's a high of 78 degrees and it should stay sunny for the next few days. All right, everybody, that's it for today's news. Today's exchange rate is 3.85 shekels to the American dollar. Remember to sign up for our daily newsletter at ILTV.TV. And don't forget to check out our evening update every night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching and see you tonight.